All right, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Hi there, Mary. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Good. How are you today? I am great. You always are. Most of the time. That's I what figured, we like to hear. I figure that life is what you make it, so as long as I make it great, it'll be great. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. It's a great way to look at it. Well, thanks. Absolutely. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Yeah. I'm Hannah Green. I'm Mary Swartz. We're Yay. here to entertain you, tell you shit you don't need to know. What? Make you laugh, make you cry. Make you roll your eyes. Make you drink. Make you wonder what the hell is wrong with those people. Speaking of drinking, what are we drinking today, huh? Oh, so today in our glasses, we have a lovely coffee from our local roaster called Dark Chocolate Ecstasy. Oh, yummy. And along with the coffee in our cups... We are enjoying some dark chocolate Godiva liqueur. Ooh. Little adult coffee today. Hell yeah. Well, there usually are adult beverages at this table. <laughs> Very seldom not. In some form or another. Hell yeah. That's the way we like it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's the way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We like it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Mary, how are you? What's new? Fine. I was... Just as fine now as I was two and a half minutes ago. I said, what's new? What's new in your world, Mary? Working way too many hours right now. You know, I actually had that discussion with my daughter today. Yeah? She said, why are you still home? And I said, because Aunt Mary is working real hours now. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, oh, that's a shame. I know. <laughs> it is. Like, it sucks. I like it. It's all right. It has to be. Being an adult That's right. can't all be fun and games. That's right. So thanks, everybody, for taking the time to spend some time with us. Hope everybody had an amazing holiday on the 4th. I hope your fireworks were amazing and wonderful and great. We hope, hope your that, day was wonderful. Yeah. Hope that you were able to spend some quality time safely with your loved ones. Yeah. That's what we like. That's right. Families are important. Very important. So, all right. Um, for anyone who might have missed it last Sunday, there was a bonus episode uh, put out by the Murder, Mischief, and Moscato crew. What? Yes. Who's that? It's a pair of real-life sisters. <laughs> you don't say. Yes. Anybody I know? Let me drink about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they put out a bonus episode on the 4th last Sunday. Um... Well, don't try this at home. It was very funny. Give it, a, give it a listen. I love how you talk about they as if it's not us. Maybe they don't know that. Maybe, maybe our Surprise! listeners don't know that. I wasn't even sure if you knew that. They're listening. They're like, hmm, these voices sound very familiar. They're so familiar in my ears. <laughs> I recognize that naggy tune. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway... Next Wednesday on Murder, Mischief, and Moscato, it's called What Does a Serial Killer Drink? Yeah. Where we cover a whole lot of serial murder stats and the mystery of the abandoned house with a dead body. There's nothing normal about that. (laughs) 
I want to go through abandoned houses. I do. So let's do it. Well, the only thing that stops me, honestly, like as I'm driving along, is the fear of falling through the fucking floor that's rotted out and I'm too stupid to know it. Till it's a little too late. You gotta be smart about and it. And I've broken something. <laughs> or you're trapped with the dead body. The story to tell. As long as I live through it, it's a story to tell. <laughs> In 25 years, we find you. And then you have a story to tell. <laughs> and I don't. Oh no, you have a story to tell. You just aren't here to tell it. Uh, I like telling stories. Yeah. Alright. So, yeah. Lots and lots of good stuff. Um, the week after that is Murder, Mischief, and Moscato's six-month anniversary. So people have to stay tuned for that one. I know. I know. Geeked. 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 All right. July 11th, National Mojito Day. <gasps> we love a good mojito. Oh, my God, we do. Ooh. I had actually never had one until our sister made us one. I had never had mojitos until then made them. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Love me a good mojito now. Ooh, I love... There's not many adult drinks I don't like, though. I know someone who once got thrown out of a bar for asking for a mojito. That's a whole other story. I'll tell you later. We have time. Apparently, he was in Sturgis, South Dakota, for... uh, He was running something for bike time. He was doing computer stuff for a thing for bike time. And is this someone I know? Yeah, yes. Someone you used to be related to. Are you going to say who it is or no? No. Oh, no. Okay. Um, so anyway, he thinks that he is funny from time to time. And he wandered into a bar that was packed. And all these people, mojitos had, were, had just become really popular. And all these people were just kept ordering mojitos and mojitos and mojitos. And they, I don't know if they'd run out of supplies or if the bartender was just fed up with it. Because making a mojito isn't just toss a few things together. You have to muddle the mint and, like, there's steps to yeah. it. it. It's a little bit time-consuming. Right. And so the bartender had announced no more mojitos. And thinking he was hysterical, he waited about five minutes and then walked up to the barn and asked for a mojito. And then, like, was kind of snarky about it. And he ended up getting thrown out of the bar. <laughs> You and I haven't even got thrown out of a bar yet. Not yet. And we've been quite obnoxious occasionally. Occasionally. Wow. See, you can tell those stories on there. Like, I just I just won't name any names. We'll just give you a lot of pins. They'll figure it out on their own. It's okay. He doesn't listen to this podcast. I don't blame him. There's only three people in the world that don't listen to us. And he's one of them. <laughs> oh, right. So anyway, every year on July 11th, People across America raise their glass to mark National Mojito Day. Woohoo! The cocktail consists of white rum, sugar, lime juice, sparkling water, and mint. It is actually a simple drink. It just, and I wouldn't even call it time consuming to make. I would. It just takes, you just don't pour all your ingredients in a drink. Well, you have to muddle the 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 lime, or the mint and the lime, and the sugar, and I don't know. But that's, I mean, we're talking seconds. Well, I also suppose, though, that if your town has, you know, 150,000 extra people in it and they're all flooding into bars and everybody in your bar is asking for a mojito that, you know... I'd be making by the pitcher. Yeah, no shit. Okay. All right. So the mojito is actually a traditional Cuban highball. It is rumored to be a drink favored by the author Ernest Hemingway. Oh. 
That rumor has never been quite proven. It seems that the story behind Hemingway and the Mojito is a tall tale to attract visitors and to sell drinks. But really isn't that how most stories start? Yeah. So whether Hemingway ever had a mojito or even liked it, that doesn't really matter. Mojitos actually generally, unless you're Johan and I, they have a low alcohol content. It's a refreshing cocktail. It gained popularity in the summertime for its refreshing combination of sweetness, citrus, and mint flavors. Because the exhilarating flavor says summer, and it stimulates your mouth. I don't believe our mouths need stimulated. Nope. (laughs) The mojito serves up a perfect pairing with barbecues and evenings at the beach. Although born in Cuba, the exact origin of the mojito remains under debate because they can't actually find roots of it back as early as 1586. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. National Mojito Day. Well, we'll drink to that. We'll drink to almost anything. We frequently do. Mmm. To go along with your mojito, why not have a blueberry muffin? Okay. July 11th is National Blueberry Muffin Day. The blueberry muffin happens to be the number one muffin flavor in the United States. Ooh. That does not surprise me. They are amazing as breakfast or a snack or, as I've been known to do occasionally, a meal, preferably with a little sugar sprinkled on top, oh, yeah. warm with some fresh real butter. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Fresh out of the oven. Oh, melt in your mouth delicious. Hell yeah. Kathy made the best ones. She still does. Yeah. Kathy, if you're listening, I believe we need... Blueberry muffins? Blueberry muffins. So wild blueberries were actually domesticated in the early 1900s. Wow, that was a long time ago. But when you think about blueberries, it really doesn't seem as though it was that long ago. It seems like they would have been domesticated a lot earlier. They were domesticated thanks to Elizabeth Coleman White and Dr. Frederick Coville. Prior to the two of them kind of putting their observations and brains and, and whatnot together in research, blueberries had never been domestically farmed. If you wanted blueberries, you had to go out and find them where they were growing in the wild and pick them. We've definitely been there. We have definitely been there. Those were the best. And honestly, for people who have never had a wild blueberry versus the ones that you buy in the grocery store that come from a farm, they do taste entirely different from each other now. And they're much different in size. Blueberries are abundant in potassium, vitamin C, vitamin B6, and a whole plethora of other stuff that is really good for you. Also, as a side note, July is National Blueberry Month. Sweet! The whole entire month, Blueberry Month. Sweet! Yeah, so perhaps next week we need to drink a drink of, um, you know, some sort of... Blueberry wine? Blueberry something. I think blueberry wine would be good. Yeah. Yeah. So, to celebrate, go out, buy a blueberry muffin, make blueberry muffins, take your friends and your loved ones a blueberry muffin. Bring us a blueberry muffin. Send us baskets of blueberry muffins. Send us baskets of mojitos. Yeah. Baskets? Yeah, line them with plastic, but yeah, baskets. (laughs) Straws. Listen, picnic basket. Filled with mojitos and blueberry muffins. You can, you know, ding-dong ditch it on our doorstep. We're cool with that. Hell yeah. Yeah. So there you go. National Blueberry Muffin Day. Yeah. All right. So somebody sent me a story 
today. Okay. So, a listener sent you a story. Yes. Okay. With a picture. Okay. Uh, uh, what the fuck is that? It's a doll. Yeah, I can see that. That is terrifying. That's an ugly doll. Oh, that is terrifying. That kind of reminds me of the doll we used to stuff in someone's suitcase and send home. So this doll was found in a 200-year-old farmhouse. And my response to this person that sent me the story was, I have an ugly doll, too. It's up at the shack. She is up at the shack. For now. She is ugly. Yes, she is. Yes. She is not the kind of thing you want to open your suitcase and find. No. And then I was, God, I was telling somebody the story of the ugly doll. And then I said, and when I brought it home the first time, I stuck it in the bathroom right on the shelf across from the toilet. Which, as a woman, you see every time, so you know it's there. Right. Men have their backs towards it. I said, so the first time my husband sat down to use the toilet and saw the ugly doll looking right at him. (laughs) (laughs) It scared the shit right out of him. (laughs) Thank God he was sitting. I don't think he was appreciative. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. All right. So. You got tidbits for us? All right. Kate Felmet is a cat owner. I, too, am a cat owner, and I have stories about my cat. You just stole my tidbit, you bitch. My, my story's better than yours. Okay. Wow. Kiss my ass and call me a bitch. <laughs> You're getting really hostile on this podcast. Wow. I, I love the way... Hold on, wait. I love the way you just said that. Kiss, Kiss my, my ass, ass and call me a bitch. bitch. I think that's going to be our new tagline. Call me a bitch. Okay, that'll be our final thought. <laughs> Wait till Andrew comes back and we use it on him. He's going to be so confused. All right. Kate Felmet lives in Oregon with her baby Esme, the cat. Yes. Esme likes to bring her mom presents. Yes. Masks, gloves, and other household items. When she brings them home, she comes to the back door and she yowls till someone will let her in and tell her that she has done a good job. Now, cats are usually known for bringing things like dead mice. Not masks or gloves or various other household items. I have a cat that steals. Yeah? My cat steals hair ties. Oh, yeah, mine too. Candy canes. Mine doesn't steal candy canes. Ink pens, receipts. And at one point in time, she stole a $10 bill. She took that bitch right off of my side table and just ran like hell. That's funny. I never found I did not actually find it until I moved. Do you know what my cat loves to steal the most? What? Fake flowers. Artificial plastic flowers. If you leave them anywhere or someone gives you them or they're in a display, my cat will steal them and chew them until they are no longer recognizable. Wow. Yeah. So my cat does not steal these things and bring them to me. Oh, yeah. Mine either. She hides them. She has her own little stash piles that I don't usually find until I deep clean. Okay. Under the toy box, under the freezer. Yeah. Under the fridge, under the stove. Never, ever has she brought me items that she's stolen from the neighbors. <gasps> you know what else my cat likes to steal? What? Nerf darts. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's probably a typical thing. Nerf darts. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Nerf bullets, man. Epic Nerf war. By yes. the end, you'll be missing at least times. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yeah. But the story of this isn't about my cat. It's about Kate's cat. Okay. Kate's cat steals. Kate's cat steals from Kate's neighbors. And Kate ends up being the recipient of all the stolen property, which is a crime, by the way. Just make, put that out there. 
It's a crime to be in possession of property you know that is stolen. Even if it was stolen by a cat. So eventually, Kate put up a clothesline and she made a sign. The sign informs the neighborhood and anyone who happens to be driving by that her cat is a thief. And the sign has an actual picture of Esme with a stolen glove in her mouth. <laughs> and Kate pins the stolen items to the clothesline so people can stop and get their items back. <laughs> Esme has brought Kate home bathing suits. Oh my God. More than one. Knee pads, rolls of tape, paint rollers, and even fabric. Oh Lord. When she steals gloves, she steals them by the pair, but she brings them home one at a time. Oh, so she brings home one and then she goes back to get the other. Yes. How thoughtful. I believe this gives the term cat burglar a whole new meaning. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My cat steals, but she doesn't steal like that. No. She does not bring me things like that home. No. No, mine either. So have you heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch? I believe so. Okay. It is a man-made mess of plastic waste that covers twice as much area as the state of Texas, and it is floating Jesus in the middle of the Christ. ocean. Yes. It's disgusting. Human beings are disgusting. Kenya is one of many countries that, of course, contribute to the pollution. Hundreds of tons of plastic waste are created every single day in the capital, Nairobi, alone. On the outskirts of this city, Nairobi, there is the Dandora Dump Landfill. If you will. Okay. Yeah, we would know it as a... Yeah. Yeah. It is almost 30 acres or 22 football fields. Okay. So despite the fact that there is a ban on single-use plastics, which went into effect in 2017, Kenya is still drowning in it. However, there is a young woman who is coming up with an innovative way to tackle this problem. This woman, her name is Matty. M-A-T-E-E. Okay. And she said she gets excited when she sees the plastic because she has come up with a way to use it to help give life to people. And not life as in bringing people into the world, children, etc. But the fact that this plastic doesn't sink, it floats, was one of the first things that caught her eye. And she thought about it, and came across the idea of using the plastic to make building blocks. So she goes to the dump every single day, and she goes to the rivers, and she, anywhere she can find to collect the kind of plastic that she needs. And it took her a long time to come up with an actual design that worked. Okay. But she takes this plastic, and... She built a machine to mass produce plastic bricks. So the plastic is sorted to remove all the different rubble and garbage and other things from it, metal, etc. And then the plastic is baked, just like making cookies, she says. The boiled mixture is then molded into building blocks. So she has a setup that she has created herself that can make as many as 2,000 plastic building blocks a day. And... They're 35% cheaper than a standard brick, and they're up to seven times stronger than a typical brick. And they're probably waterproof. (laughs) Yeah. So for now, her bricks are being used to make pathways in small households, but she would really like to make it so that bigger construction companies Mm -hmm. and projects can use them. This is her fight against plastic pollution. 
because it's not just an issue in Nairobi, no. in Kenya. This is a worldwide, worldwide issue. Yeah. And, of course, it's complicated by the fact that two years ago, the U.S. exported more than one billion pounds of plastic waste to 96 other nations, including Kenya. Yeah. Now, see, I'm a recycler. I recycle everything. I'm huge on that. Oh, yeah. Huge on that. My recycling cans, I had to get two of them, and they're both larger than my one little garbage can. Oh, yeah. And I do fill them up. I am astounded that we are not recycling our own goddamn plastic here in the United States, that we are shipping that much plastic overseas to other countries instead of dealing with it on our own. Right. I mean, first of all, it costs money to ship it. Yeah. Just fucking recycle it here in the United States. That's what we do. And use it for other things because I have been to um, parks, zoos, and different public areas where the boardwalks are made from boards. Recycled plastic. That are made from recycled plastic. There are things that can be done with it. Yeah. And they're in my own head. I understand it costs money, but in the long run, it will end up being cheaper than having to deal with this problem that is going... I mean, it already is insurmountable. I mean, as long as we don't reuse... um the things that we have, our gallon jugs and our water bottles and stuff, this problem is never going to go away. Right. So, yeah, I would definitely say recycle. Recycle, recycle, recycle. I'm huge on it. So, Maddie says, the more we recycle the plastic, the more we produce affordable housing, and the more we create more employment for the youth. Like many young Kenyans, Maddie is passionate about saving the environment, but in her for her, it's not just words. Maddie is hoping that through her actions, the mountain in Dandora will become a mere hill. And that was from an article that was on CBS News. Um, and I just thought, what an amazing and creative and smart young lady yeah. who is not just putting her desire to change the world into small actions, but into tangible, real-life actions yeah. that can make an actual difference. Creating employment, creating housing, reducing the plastic. You know, I mean, just amazing, amazing. And I and honestly... Hats off to her. Absolutely. Awesome. Hats off, and I hope that, that some company takes her and her idea and makes something amazing out of it and... And lets her find other things that she can do, other ways to help save her country yeah. and possibly even our world. No kidding. Yeah, the thought of that mountain of garbage floating in the ocean is yeah stomach-churning, to it say is. the very least. That is one thing I will say. The company that I work for, we do have, we have paper bags, but we also do have what people term plastic bags. But ours are actually made from corn byproducts. They aren't actually plastic. So do they? They are recyclable. They are compostable. I was going to say, do they compost easily? I don't know. I've never tried to compost one, but it's it Bring says it right on there. It. Yeah, it says right on there. Let's and they're, they're, they're freaking crazy strong. People, like customers will be like, I love your bags. I reuse them all the time. Good. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we're going to get off that soapbox now. 
And we're going to talk about the Wild Wild West. Ooh, all right. Remember the story you did about the Wild Wild West? Um, yes. Yeah. Palisades? Yeah. Yes. What if they weren't riding horses? Dinosaurs? What if they were riding camels? Oh, okay. Think about that for a minute. I think that's the East. The Wild Wild East. No, this is the West. Mm. It's hard to imagine the Old West without images of the classic cowboy riding his horse off into the sunset. Agreed. Yet, if things had gone differently, the Old Western movies would have had John Wayne riding into town on his camel. <laughs> when the Lone Ranger was blurting out, Hi-yo, silver, away! He would have been referring to his two-hump friend. Not all camels have two humps. And Roy Rogers would have had a dromedary named Trigger. Cute. To understand what I'm talking about, we have to set our timepieces back, way back to the first part of the 19th century. Okay. And at this time, the United States was undergoing a great expansion, and most of the land that we were obtaining in the Southwest was all desert. It was not a place for men, horses, or mules. Lack of water meant lack of life. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yet the United States government was determined to explore this territory. Right. In 1836, Major George Crossman, aha, light bulb goes off. He has the perfect solution. He proposed that the U.S. government purchase a bunch of camels. After all, what other animal was better suited for desert condition? Right. He was certain that this was the answer to their problem. Yet, like all good ideas, basically it fell on deaf ears. No one wanted to hear about it. Okay. And you know, you know, you know, people, if it's not my idea, it's no good. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) That was until Jefferson Davis, who at that time was a Mississippi senator, he was told about the camel idea. He thought this is a good idea. So he regularly suggested the importation of camels to anybody that would listen. But again, and still, the idea kind of went nowhere. Right. So 1852, things begin to change when Jefferson Davis is appointed as the Secretary of War under President Franklin Pierce. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Hold on. Wait. Just, just go with me here. Okay. You know, squirrel. Rabbit hole. <laughs> kind of, but okay. on the same train. Okay. I'm, ch- I'm chasing your rabbit down the rabbit hole here. On a train. <laughs> Not on a train, but you maybe said on the same train. On, maybe on a camel. Okay. It's a camel train. Camel hole. Camel train. Okay. All right. You said Secretary of War. Yes. You know how our soldiers <laughs> rode horses in a battle? Yeah. Can you imagine them riding camels who spit and randomly just decide they're done and they lay down and take a nap? I have to say, had this happened, America's story may have turned out entirely differently. differently. Oh, my God. This is great. Okay. Okay. All right. Keep going. So Jefferson Davis is the Secretary of War. Now he's in a position to recommend the purchase of camels. He still thinks it's a good idea. It took him three years, but eventually... He gets the idea approved. So on March 3rd of 1855, Congress appropriates $30,000 to be expended under the direction of the War Department in the purchase and importation of camels and dromedaries to be employed for military purposes. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's almost a million dollars in today's money, oh just God. so you know. Oh, my God. That is over $920,000. Oh, my God. Okay. Officially, the U.S. Camel Corps is now in existence. Open for business. Oh, my God. Now we need camels. 
but camels can't be found in the United States. <sighs> so Major Henry Wayne and Lieutenant David Porter were sent aboard a Navy ship to the Eastern Mediterranean to purchase the camels. Okay. Now, here's the difference between you and I and the people in power. Yes. If you were going to buy camels, who would you send? Are we talking about today or then? At any point in time, if someone were going to go buy camels, who would you send? Andrew. I would send someone who knew about camels. I'd send Andrew. Because, God, it'd be fucking funny. Can you can you imagine if we sent Andrew and Larry to buy camels? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> they would handpick each camel based on what was funniest about them. That what Tump looks like, the state of Texas. Oh, my God, look, look. This camel one, drinks beer. Let's get him. This camel, his eyelashes are longer on one eye than the other. Oh, dear God. All right. This one whistles a little through his All nose right. when he breathes. I would send someone who had knowledge of camels. That's what I would do. Uh, Major Wayne and Lieutenant Porter had really no knowledge of camels. So the first purchases of said camels were not exactly good ones. Once they kind of learned the ropes a little bit, they were obtained. They were able to obtain thirty-three camels at an average cost of two hundred fifty dollars each. The camels were boarded on the ship for their three-month voyage back across the sea. Oh Jesus! From the moment the camels got on this ship, it's pretty obvious that the plan was headed for failure. So, hypothetically, you and I need camels. We send someone over to buy the camels who knows about camels, right? Oh God. Now, when you put them on the ship and you need to hire someone to take care of the camels, wouldn't you hire someone who knew about camels? Yes. Yes, they didn't. They hired six Arabs and a Turkish guy. Oh, Jesus. To make the journey back to the United States. But just because you're born in the country the camels come from doesn't mean you know a damn thing about camels. Doesn't make you an expert. So, like the Americans who were sent to get the camels, the guys who were going to take care of the camels basically knew nothing. The Turkish man, he's hired as a veterinarian. He has one treatment for everything that ails the camels. Beer! You get Whiskey! A, you get a chameleon tail and you tickle their nose. What? <laughs> what? Oh, God. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, the ship finally arrives in Indianola, Texas, on May 14th of 1856. Oh, my God. One camel had died on the journey. They ate it. But two were born, so now we're ahead one. Within minutes of unloading, however, there were a few problems. First, the sight of the camels made the horses and the mules go crazy. <laughs> Secondly, the camels smell really, really bad. I have heard that. And no one wants to take care of them. Yes, I've heard camels are, are stinky. stinky and smelly. So, after some fattening up, the camel team was placed at Camp Verde, which is by San Antonio. Okay. Under the command of Lieutenant Beale. We can be pretty certain that Beale, who had enlisted in the U.S. Navy at the age of 14, did not enlist with the dream that he would be asked to lead a pack of dirty, smelly army camels across the <laughs> desert. Oh, God. Beale's mission is quite clear. He's to survey a route from Fort Defiance to New Mexico to Eastern California along a trail that will someday become the western portion of the road, Route 66. Oh, my God. It's pretty famous now. Yeah, I know. I've driven it. Clearly, this involved crossing a lot of desert terrain. Uh, yeah. This sounds like a job for 
Camels? Underdog! No, no, not underdog. <laughs> underdog would die of thirst, too. <laughs> Sorry. Under camel? Super camel. Super camel. Same for camel. This is oh. a job for super camel. Okay. And off they went. I don't know if they went that fast. No, camels don't go that fast. Do you know there's a thing called camel racing? Yes. Yeah. It's amusing. We should, should do that. You should watch it someday. We should do that someday. Oh, my God. Add it to our bucket list. In Antarctica. At first, the camels struggled to keep up with the horses and the mules. They may not have needed as much water, but they <laughs> were slow. However, it's the classic race of the tortoise and the hare. You always bet on the slow guy. And after a few days, the camels adapted to their new environment, and they left everybody in the dust. So Beale completes his official reports, and he submits it to Congress. And it's clear, it is clear that the camel experiment was a great success. By this time, John Floyd had replaced Jefferson Davis as Secretary of War. And he makes the recommendation to Congress. We need more camels. Oh, Jesus. We need 1,000 more camels. This isn't like we need more cowbell. This is, this is a whole camels. different ballgame. We need more camels. Wow. So making the recommendation is one thing, and actually getting the money to do it is another. You see, at this point in time, the United States had a really big problem. They're on the verge of a civil war. And the last thing Congress needs to deal with is a herd of camels, so they say. Just in case you didn't know, there was a civil war. The two sides fought, and they fought, and the United States eventually agreed to be purchased by AOL and Time Warner. Oh, not really. Sorry. God, I was starting to think I drank too much. <laughs> not Jesus. Really. Uh, during the war, Camp Verde, which was still home to the camels, the camels that didn't go with Beale to California, fell under Confederate control, and they played absolutely no part in the war. So and the Confederates killed them and ate them. The camels were treated very poorly, mostly because they had no knowledge or understanding of camels. Right. If there is one thing a camel demands, it's respect. They basically, they will treat you the way you treat them. So if you hit them with a stick, they will spit on you. Yeah. If you kick them, they will kick they you will back. kick you back. So it was not unusual for a camel to accidentally get loose and get lost in the desert. As a result of all of this, people who didn't know how to take care of them, the camel got the reputation of being dirty, nasty, and very uncooperative. And few people had any use for them. They were just nasty-ass beasts. They got loose, and now we have the great herds of, of wild camels. Of free-range camels. <laughs> free-range camels laying Roaming camel the West. <laughs> Makes them organic, doesn't it? <laughs> Yep. Highly desirable. So the war is over. Congress no longer has any interest in the camels. The railroad's expanding west. It provides a much better means of transportation. You Rem think? The remaining camels were all auctioned off to the highest bidder. Um, interest was kind of minimal at that point in time. And many of these same cam camels were actually occasionally seen roaming the American desert. I told you! Free-range camels! Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, hatred against them was very high, and ranchers would use them as target practice. Oh, poor babies. One of the Arabs who was originally hired to take care of the camels, whose name was Haji Ali. His name was Americanized to High Jolly, so they would just call him High Jolly. He tried for many years to convince others how useful the animals could be. 
but he even had no success and he was forced to let his camels go. But today a monument stands in Arizona in tribute to Hajali and the U.S. Camel Corps. Ooh, where? Um, I don't know. That's a good thing to, I didn't think to look that up. Well, I will look that up. And so ends the great camel experiment. It is so hard to imagine how a plan that was so right could end up going so wrong. Camel me this. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, imagine if it had gone right. If it had gone so well, and the wild, wild west would have been on camels. Um, did you find it? Well, I did find that Hyjali's grave site is in Quartzsite, Arizona. Ooh, okay. Hyjali's too. So probably his monument is not that far away. It is a, it's a memorial pyramid marker. Just trying to see if I could find out where the uh, camel statue is, though. The monuments in Quartzsite, Arizona, also. Oh, okay. Atlas's Obscura. Cool. All right. Uh, oh, that's really cool, too. It's it a is a big pyramid cool. with a camel on top. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I actually Very saw cool. some other pictures. There's uh, camels incorporated into a lot of things in the Quartzsite area because of it. That's awesome. So I actually changed up the story that I was going to do today yeah. after hearing the story you were doing. Okay. Why did you make that choice? You'll understand in a minute. Today we're going to start with a little zoology lesson. We're going to talk about hippos. Oh, not camels? Not camels. Hippos. Okay. Imagine if they'd ridden hippos. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) So let's learn a few things about the hippo that most of us probably don't know. You like to give us facts sometimes. Sometimes. The word hippopotamus comes from a Greek word that closely translates to water horse or river horse. Okay. There are two kinds of hippos, the common river hippo and the pygmy hippo. The average common male hippo weighs between 3,500 and 9,900 pounds, okay? It's like five tons. That's a lot of weight. The average female weighs weighs around 3,000 pounds. She's way outweighed. Yeah. Hippos can range range in length from 10.8 feet to 16.5 feet. They stand an average of 5 feet 2 inches tall at their shoulder, so that doesn't include their head. Hippos spend most of their time in the water, but they do sometimes give birth on land. The gestation period of a hippo is around 8 months. A hippo baby is 10 times larger than a human baby at birth. Okay, but a hippo is 10 times as big as we are. <laughs> more in than, case you didn't forget that. More, more so than yeah. that, but yes. Hippos are actually easily dehydrated. They do not have sweat glands. Instead, they secrete a red substance referred to as blood sweat. This substance acts as a natural sunblock and helps to keep their skin hydrated. So they... Okay, so if you don't have sweat glands, why would you get hydrated easier? Hydrated? Dehydrated. Dehydrated. Serious. I mean, that's a really serious question. I don't know. Okay. I don't I don't know. I don't understand how the whole thing works, but hippos spend most of their time in water because the sun de- yeah. Well maybe you had your zoology degree by now. I haven't yet. Working okay. on it though. Okay. It's a work in progress. Okay. Hippos in the wild live an average of thirty six to forty years. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Hippos are the most aggressive and dangerous of all mammals. I had heard that, yes. They have sharp teeth that grow continuously, and their canines can reach lengths of up to 20 inches. Ooh! Yeah, that's some serious shit. I don't want them biting me. 
Hippos feed mostly on short grass and fruit. Not people. They eat an average of 88 pounds of food a night. Hence their weight. But they're eating fruits and grass. I mean, there's no calories to that shit. Uh, that's what you think. If all you do is stand in a river all damn day, you're going to pack on the weight. I haven't tried it, so I don't really know. <laughs> Hippos on land will destroy crops, and they will stomp on smaller cows. They're not nice creatures. Wow. That's yeah. mean. Hippos tend to spend their time in groups of 10 to 30 hippos. While there are many males and females in each group, there's always one dominant male in each group who has the right to mate with all of the females. Lucky bastard. The dominant male marks his territory no- makes his territory known to others nearby by flinging his poo as far as possible with his tail. <laughs> he's not a polite creature. No. No, he's rather rude. In some areas of Africa... Hippos are eaten for meat. I can see that. An average hippo has approximately 1,200 pounds of meat on it. That's, yeah, that's a good portion. It's a lot. Yeah. Hippo meat apparently tastes a lot like pork. There is very little fat on a hippo. The meat is lean, and it can be tough, depending on what they've been feeding on. In the Dominican Republic of Congo, hippo meat is illegal, and... Hippos are frequently killed by poachers there. Poachers kill hippos with rocket launchers, machine guns, and dynamite. First of all, probably none of those are legal. Second of all, that's a little overkill. You think? Honest to fucking God, with a rocket launcher? <laughs> you think? Just take out their legs. Yeah, I don't know. That is. It's then you got one pissed off short-legged hippo who's flinging poo at you. And how fast does it take, how fast can you reload your rocket launcher? Well, it doesn't have legs, so you're fine. Okay, wait a minute. Let's think about this realistically. You can only take out two legs at a time. You can't take out all four. <laughs> it's either the back two or the front two. Or left, the left side or the right, or the right side. side. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. You got the butt dragging on the ground going. <laughs> In 2011. 500 people in Zambia were infected with anthrax after eating tainted hippo meat. The whole hippo was tainted? The meat was somehow tainted. With anthrax? Anthrax can be a naturally occurring thing. Oh, okay. It's not... Okay. Anthrax does not have to be a white powder. Yeah, yeah, pre- yeah. Exactly. Precisely. Hippo canines, remember when they grew up to 20 inches yeah. long? They're made from ivory. <gasps> Kill them for their teeth, don't they? Yeah. That's They are targeted by poachers because of that. And it's hippo good. ivory is actually softer than elephant ivory, which makes it easier to carve and more desirable. So, okay, so are all their teeth made out of ivory? And just like the canines are really large and prominent, yeah, but all of them are made out of ivory? I don't know. I mean, I would assume they would be. I would assume so, too, but yeah. Yeah, just... I want ivory teeth. No, you don't. People will kill you for them. Only once. There are currently no conservation efforts to protect the hippos, despite their dwindling numbers due to poachers. That's sad. Now, I tell you all of that to tell you this story. Okay. We're going to go back to the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s. All right? Yep. The immigration influx and the population growth in the U.S. had led to a problem, a shortage of cows. The hippos would stop stepping on them. We wouldn't have a shortage. Simply stated, the U.S. population was quickly eating their way through the national beef supply. What could be done to fix this? Because men weren't simply willing to quit eating meat. Okay. 
So when you decide to cross the border and you fill out your little questionnaire, they should only let vegetarians across. <laughs> I don't think that was a thing back then. I mean, I know you can't like, you can't segregate or prejudice against people based on race, religion, sex. sex. Yeah. Yeah. But sex. Eating yes, habits. please. Eating habits. <laughs> We're only taking vegetarians this month. <laughs> a congressman from Louisiana, whose name was Robert Broussard, came up with what he thought was a, a pretty good plan. Okay. He opened discussion in the House of Representatives on Bill H.R. 23261, also known as the Hippo Bill. Okay. Broussard's plan was simply this. Import hippos from Africa. The hippos could serve as a new source of meat for the U.S., they would be a juicy new staple to the food chain. It would only take around $250,000. Figured it out, it's approximately $7 million today. Yeah, that's kind of like when I figured out mine, yeah. Yeah, approximately $7 million. They could be placed into the bayous in Louisiana. After all, the hippos live mostly in water. Okay. And the bayous aren't good for farming or cattle grazing. They're just wasted land. Full of alligators and snakes. That part wasn't really addressed. They would be perfect for hippo ranching. Hi as hippo it was ranching. As it was now being called. What are you doing, hippo rancher? I'm a hippo rancher. I ranch hippos. <laughs> I grow hippos. This was one on my left, one on my right. <laughs> This was a strange but compelling solution to the looming problem. It would also address another problem that Broussard was facing in Louisiana. So, you see, back in the late 1800s, Japan had gifted New Orleans with water hyacinths as a gift. Those are beautiful flowers. They are pretty, but the flowering plants soon took over the bayous and the rivers, clogging them and killing off the local fish population. Um... When you introduce strange things into places they don't belong, that does tend to happen frequently. Coincidentally, hippos love to eat water hyacinths. Oh, oh, oh I see where this is going. Win-win. I see where this is going. Fish come back. Uh, water hyacinths gone. Fish come back. Hippos serve as food. Win-win. They're eating vegetarianly. Broussard had a devout backer in the plant. American Frederick Russell Burnham was an adventurer, and he was the major inspiration for the International Boy Scout movement. He was a decorated soldier and a fearless spy. Burnham's life had taken him more or less to a few inhospitable places and situations, which had led him to eat more than a few unconventional meals. Okay. Author Joe Moallen quoted Burnham as saying, Man's stomach, like his hand, can be trained to adapt itself to many strange uses. Okay. Burnham believed that the hippo could save the U.S. and would be a new chapter in the great American story. Kind of like camels. <laughs> now you see why I swapped out stories here. Absolutely. Good swapping. We did this on purpose. <laughs> A lot of people thought... It's a great thought, American story that we're telling today. Well, this wasn't the story I originally planned for today, but 
Once you started yours, I was like, oh, God, I have to switch my story up here. A lot of people thought that this idea was crazy, but Burnham believed that it was a bold idea. The media seemed to be on board with the idea, too. The New York Times labeled hippos as lake cow bacon. Lake cow bacon. That is retardation at its finest. Thank you. I was like, that doesn't even flow. No. That's like saying, you know, seafood beef pork. <laughs> it's like, like saying, f- bite a bullet and shoot me a fish. <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> I don't think that's what you said. I think it was something about bite the fish and shoot me a bullet or something. I can't even remember anymore. Bite the bullet and shoot a fish. Oh, God. It was fucking great. Yeah. Congressman. Yeah, it makes as much sense as the great American lake bacon. Lake cow bacon. Lake cow bacon. Yeah. Congressman Broussard brought Burnham to the house to talk up the plan. Now, Burnham wasn't the only one that was there at the house to talk about the bill. Another expert had been consulted, and he spoke about the benefits of importing the African mammals as well. I am very glad. I will just, let's let's interrupt and point this out. I'm really glad they at least consulted people who had knowledge in the area. Oh, you tell me about whether this expert. Oh, no. (laughs) No. Should have been consulted, okay? Okay. Sorry, don't make me eat my words. Oh, I'm about to. Jesus. Which is better than making you eat lake cow bacon. (laughs) This expert's name was Fritz Duquesne. He was from South Africa. He was a military man renowned for his deadly skills. And he was also a spy. There's a lot of spies in this story. (laughs) I couldn't make this shit up if I tried. We're going to. On our next vacation, we're going to be undercover spies. Oh, I thought we were just going to make up a story and present it as real and see if they catch on. We'll do that for April Fool's. That would be great. All right. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be spies <laughs> on our next vacation. We're going to be undercover spies wherever we go. All right. So Duquesne is a spy. In fact, Burnham and Duquesne had spent years trying to kill each other during oh, the Jesus. Se- <laughs> during what was called the Second Boer War under orders from their respective governments. Okay. So neither one of them is really very good at their job is what I'm hearing. Thus, the two of them are now on, in the same room working together to promote... Lake Bill. Lake Cow. Cow Bacon. <laughs> yes. The two men were indeed very different from each other. Burnham was considered steady as a rock. Duquesne was regarded as calculating and was referred to as the Black Panther of the Velt. The Black Panther of the Velt? Do you know what a velt is? Uh, apparently, I do not know what a velt is. I'm going to just make this shit up. It's like the grasslands of Africa is the velt. Okay. I learned that. That in wasn't school. much fun. I learned that in school. Well, I'm glad one of us went. <laughs> these two men working as a com- These two men working toward a common goal could have been catastrophic. But instead, they were both on board with pursuing the exploitation of the hippos. Joe Mo Allen, the author... Uh Uh-huh. He wrote, These two men will seem larger than life, but they lived at a time a hundred years ago. When I would argue, life in America seemed larger than life. When what was unimaginable still felt feasible, and ideas that looked ridiculous could still come true. Kind of sums up this whole fucking story. (laughs) Right there. (laughs) 
So Broussard, Burnham, and Duquesne. Two of them are two of them spies. Yes. Ooh. So you've got you've got Representative Broussard. Okay, he's not a spy. No, he's the guy from Louisiana. And the other two are he's a politician, and the he's other a two spy. <laughs> and the other two are are spies. They're out of the closet spies. But they're experts. Remember? Well, I'm sure the senator was an expert too. So the three of them soon formed a company that they called the New Food Society. The New Food Society. Yes. Their goal was promoting their exotic agenda to the U.S., hoping to make the bill a reality that would soon put hippo meat on every table in America. Burnham and Duquesne both strongly believed in the business plan, and they were soon seen as strong allies. The plan even had the backing of Theodore Roosevelt, the former president of the United States. I used to respect him. He was president until 1909, and at this point, we're now in 1910. Okay. Yes. Roosevelt pledged his hearty approval and promised his cooperation in bringing the bill to reality. Roosevelt had a previous friendship with Burnham, and he also had a previous association with Duquesne, who he had once used for hunting advice prior to a trip to Africa. Duquesne soon became the public face of the company. And before long, the company had another member. They were soon joined in their endeavor by writer and inventor Elliot Lord. Because of differing business styles and differing strengths, the soon the group soon began to diverge as a team. And then along came another wrench in the plan. A war was breaking out in Africa. Duquesne's loyalty was being divided because he was from Africa, unlike the other three who were devout Americans. And then another wrench. World War I happened. I thought maybe there was a shortage of hippopotamuses over the rhinoceroses over there. Hippos, no rhinos. I forgot for a minute what we were talking about. I know. During World War I, Duquesne took on the alias of Captain Claude Stoughton, a British military man. Oh, dear God. He was back in action as a spy. Oh, dear God. But in 1917, Duquesne was investigated by the New York City Police Department bomb squad. They uncovered a whole network of aliases tied to him, as well as evidence of violence committed in the name of the German supremacy. No. What are you dragging the Germans in for? (laughs) Jesus. I'm just telling you the story. We got Africans. We got Brits. We got Germans. We got New Yorkers. Duquesne was arrested, but but he pretended to be paralyzed. (laughs) This is such a good... He used this trick (laughs) to help him escape to Europe. He actually evaded arrest until 1941. Wow. When he was, was he paralyzed the entire time? No. I didn't think so. No, he was never paralyzed. It's a miraculous. Yeah, miraculous. Recover, he recovery. probably drank hippo snot or licked it <laughs> He licked their blood sweat or something. I don't know. He was charged as the ring. <laughs> you gonna make it over there? <laughs> No. <laughs> I just had this picture of him licking blood sweat. <laughs> I lost it for a minute. Sorry. Go on. Please continue with your ridiculousness. <laughs> Duquesne was charged as the ringleader of the... <laughs> what? The, he was charged as the ringleader okay. of the Duquesne spy ring. I thought you said he was a regulator. <laughs> 
sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I keep interrupting you. It's okay because I'm laughing and crying at the I know. same time. Oh, God. That's what happens when I edit, too. <laughs> so, Duquesne was eventually sentenced. I'm not to- even going to try to drink. <laughs> Duquesne was eventually sentenced to 18 years in prison. Okay. The Hippo Bill ended up being pushed to the side in light of World War I and then World War II. The water hyacinth problem was also largely forgotten. There were bigger problems to handle at that time. And soon, factory farming and mass production processing had made cows a sustainable source of meat, and the crisis was averted. So are water hyacinths no longer a problem in Louisiana to this day? Well, while we no longer need to worry about a lack of beef on our tables or sustainable sources of food in general... The water hyacinth is still a problem in Louisiana, <laughs> choking the rivers and killing off the local fish populations. I can't believe they haven't fucking brought a hippo or two. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, and that, that is good. That is how closely we came to having hippo meat on our table. On our table, and hippos in the south and camels in the west. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Good job. It was not even. We did not write those stories conjointly either. We did not. When Mary and I do stories, when we research our stories, we do not tell each other what we are researching. We do not collaborate together. We simply do our own stories, do our research, write our stories, and then when we present them, the other person is truly and honestly Surprised yeah. that you get real reaction to the story, yes. which is why we don't tell each other what we're doing. But yes, yeah, this was, was not the story I intended to do today. It However, fit perfectly though, it did. I knew once I heard your story that I was going to have to change up my plan here. No, very good. You did great. <laughs> she thought she did great. I, you know, almost started on myself. I got tears coming out of my eyes. I'm glad you stopped drinking. I had to stop drinking. You might have ruined the laptop if you hadn't. Oh, my God. That's why we have to, yeah, we have to, yeah, get our headsets. Oh, my gosh. No, then you would just spit all over the headset. I can replace that. Yep, so there you go. Good job. Great job. Hippos. Uh, Hippos and camels. What more do you need on this Sunday afternoon? I can think of about four things right off the top of my head, but hey, we're not going there. Let's <laughs> start with a margarita and a plate of nachos. Oh, for God's sakes. Um, thanks to everybody who joined us. Uh, we hope that you found this as enjoyable as we did to do it. I always, I always hope that they find it as enjoyable to listen to as we do to tell it. Oh, my gosh. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. You can find us... Uh, at Gmail, T-M-S-I-D-N-T-K, and we are also at Twitter, T-M-S-I-D-N-T-K. Feel free to email us any suggestions, ideas, comments. If you heard something weird and you want us to do a little research on it, just send it our way. You can DM us on Twitter. You can tweet at us. You can share our tweets. In fact, man, share us like fairy dust. Sprinkle that shit Everywhere. Um, yeah, you can message us at Facebook. I mean, whatever, however. You got interesting story, a title, a topic, whatever. Yeah, send it to us. If you listen to our stories and it makes you think of a story you've heard, feel free to even just yeah. shoot us a message and say, 
have you heard about and just give us the like a brief description we will yep. run with it from there yep if you want to tell it yourself feel free we'll you know figure out how to get you in here you can tell your story and we'll kick oh, your ass to the curb oh yeah no absolutely <laughs> we're always looking for guests we're you know if yeah. you if you want to call us and do a story we can absolutely make it happen so. so if you did enjoy your short stop with us, and even if you didn't, feel free to follow the podcast. It automatically downloads most anywhere that you follow us. Leave us a rating and a review because that does help us and let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear. Yeah. You can find us pretty much anywhere, obviously. Uh, One of the things that I have seen a lot of lately is people who have... <sighs> been listening on Apple podcast and Apple has done an update which a lot of people are very unhappy with let me just put out there that there are a lot of really amazing platforms that you can listen through and we are available through yeah you know I pod chaser iheart good pods I mean you if you Google can, podcast Spotify yeah so if you're struggling with your with your Apple, which I mean, we we both use Apple products. We are definitely not dissing Apple, but I know right now people are struggling with some issues with the Apple Podcast app right now. If that is your case and you are looking but afraid of leaving because you will lose us, you won't lose us. I promise. We're out there. Yes, we definitely are. Uh, you want to cross advertise? We're all up for it. Hit us up. Let us know. Anyway. Um, I think that's all we got. I can't remember what our final thought I was can't supposed either. to be. We are out of here. Call, kiss my ass and call me a bitch. Until <laughs> next week, guys. <laughs> Bye. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had a one long horn and one big eye. Like a Mr. Shaking in the city. It looks like a purple people eater to me. It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. A one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. One-eyed. Oh, well, he came down to earth and he lit in the tree. I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, don't eat me. I heard him say in a voice so gruff. It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. One-horned. I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, what's your line? He said, eating purple people and it sure is fine. But that's not the reason that I came to land. Well, bless my soul, rock and roll, flying purple people eater, pigeon toed under coat, flying purple people eater. He wears short shorts, friendly little people eater. What a sight to see! Oh! And then he swung from the tree and he lit on the ground and he started to rock, really rocking around. It was a crazy ditty with a swinging tune. Sing a bop. Bless my soul, rock and roll, flying purple people eater, pigeon toed undercoat, flying purple people eater. I like short shorts. Flying purple people eater. What a sight to see. Purple people. Well, he went on his way, and then nobody you know. I saw him last night on a TV show. He was blowing it out, really knocking him dead, playing rock and roll music through the horn in his head. Okay.